Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good, good. My name's Todd. I'm the uh, pastor here, and uh, welcome to Hilton Head Island Community Church. For those of you I don't know, glad that you're here and uh, glad that you're visiting with us. Uh, if you're maybe from Ohio or somewhere like that, we're glad that you're here too. Um, I just wanted to uh, mention right up front that when you came in this morning, um, you all should have received one of these cards uh, with these smoothies on it. Um, someone said one of these is a daiquiri, but I don't think so. So anyway, this is church. Come on. So anyway, uh, uh, you received this. This is a punch card, and um, we are beginning a series called The Sweet Life here at Hilton Head Island Community Church that will last for the most part of the summer. Now, we're going to take a few breaks in there and that sort of thing, but we're going to be doing nine weeks of the sweet life. And so every time you come, uh, one of the uh, folks who greet you will punch your card. And if you come in with all these punched next week, I'll just leave that between you and God, okay? <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the series, uh, we will give you, if you get all these punched, if you're here each of those nine weeks, uh, we'll give you a free smoothie. That week, and so we're excited about that, and wanted to tie it in with the summer. And you, you know, here's my prayer. All right, those of you who have been with us for some time, my prayer is is that by the time many of you fill out this card, that that last week we're in the new building. Okay, that's my prayer. All right, at least by then. So anyway, and I'm I don't know anything. I'm just praying that, and I have faith that that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter five, uh, Galatians chapter five. We're going to be in Galatians 5 and kind of using that as a springboard for these next few weeks and kicking off our series called The Sweet Life this morning. Uh, I love smoothies and I discovered just recently that um, right next to the Starbucks here right around the corner, and I'm a frequent uh, customer of Starbucks, um, there's a smoothie shop and evidently it's been there for years, but I just discovered it in the last year. And so I've been kind of trying to, as best I can, move from, you know, caffeine to good nutrients uh, in the smoothie shop there uh, as much as I can. Um, and I, I just love smoothies. This is a time of year we kind of uh, partake of them a little bit more than normal. In New York City, um, we lived there, Cynthia and I uh, lived there for uh, two years. And in the summer, uh, you know, I think New York is a really neat place, but in the summer, it's just hot. I mean, all that pavement and concrete and asphalt, it's hot. And so there were times that Planet Smoothie was my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And uh, just to get cooled off, and, and, and I love the nutrients that you get. Um, I have a brother-in-law whose name is Jonathan, and some of you have been praying for Jonathan over these last two years. Jonathan uh, has been fighting. He's a, he's a pastor uh, down in West Palm Beach, uh, Florida, and he's been fighting a very aggressive form of cancer. He's my age, and um, I'm glad to report to you that he's doing very well, and uh, God has healed him. He's been through a lot over these last two years, but God's doing some amazing things. But his body from the cancer and from that you know, cancer-fighting chemo is just weak. It's just worn down, and he's really susceptible to just the common cold and flu and viruses and that sort of thing. And so over these uh, past few years or so, past few months, um, his family will often go to the grocery store and get nice, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables and all kind of fun things. You know, sometimes around our house, we like to dump a bunch of sugar in smoothies. But they get the blender out and they fix him these good, nutritious 
smoothies. And part of his healing process is he's got to have some extra nutrition, and it helps him to have more energy, and it helps him to fight off disease. And uh, Jonathan and their family, Jonathan and Catherine and the kids, they're kind of loving learning how to make smoothies, and it's kind of been kind of a fun thing for them to do as a family. Uh, It's interesting because God's Word talks a lot about our spiritual life and the nutrients that we need to take in to our spiritual life, doesn't it? Jesus talks about the spiritual life and how we ought to strive to live an abundant life. And in doing so, he simply gives us a recipe for spiritual living or abundant life living or what we're going to call this summer the sweet life living. Uh, He gives us kind of a diet, spending time deeply devoted to his word, spending time communing or talking with God, the God of creation, the God of the universe, finding out spiritual gifts and, and how you can serve other people. And so those are kind of the things that nourishes us spiritually. But it's interesting because the Bible doesn't just talk about those things that we take in in our spiritual life. It also talks about the results of living the sweet life. And in Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that the results of having a nutritious spiritual life inside and the working out of God working in your life is the idea, and I think he aptly calls them, the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're going to be taking a look this summer at these fruit of the Spirit. There are nine that he lists. Most theologians will tell you that throughout the Bible there are many more, but we're going to be taking a look at these nine from Galatians chapter 5. I don't know about you, but um, if you think about it, growing up from the very first time that we're able as kids to receive instruction in our life, Most of the instruction that we receive is what not to do, right? Parents, are you with me on this one? You know, Sean, don't do that. Sydney, stop that. No, no, no. You know, don't do these things. And so we learn kind of from the negative of what not to do. And the Apostle Paul here in Galatians chapter 5 does the same thing. He talks about how life in the Spirit is not according to these things, but then he switches. And in verse 22, he uses this word in chapter 5 of Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit are. And then he lists those fruit of the Spirit. Take a look if you have your Bibles at verses 22 and then the first part of 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to read that verse with me so it kind of sinks in these nine different things. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When Paul is writing these things, describing these different aspects of what the Christian life should be like, Essentially, what he is telling us is he's telling us that these are the things that are the condition of our hearts. These are things that are an attitude of the heart, and it's deeply seated in our lives. I don't know about you, but sometimes the condition of my heart doesn't exactly equate to my outward behavior. And I think that's probably true for most of us. 
You know, some people, they become a Christ follower, they find God, and they, they, they accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and their heart may be changed, their motives may be pure, but it takes a while for their outward behavior to catch up. Even the most mature Christ follower sometimes has trouble living according to these fruit of the Spirit. And the opposite is also true. Sometimes we're good at really faking these nine things, aren't we? We're good at putting on a good show. We're good at saying, I am lovely, I am peaceful, I am patient, and so on and so forth. But the condition of our heart is hard. The condition of our heart is rock solid hard. You may be really good at faking the outward behavior, but the condition of your heart is what Paul is specifically speaking of. But I want to make this disclaimer. It's impossible to live these fruit of the Spirit if you hit it directly on, head on. It's impossible for you to wake up one day and say, you know what? I want to be more lovely. I want to be more peaceful. I want to be more patient. Yeah, that one's really hard, isn't it? I want to be better. I want to be more good. I want to be more faithful in my life. It's impossible just to wake up one day and say, I'm going to be these things that Paul talks about. Just like a farmer can't wake up one day and say, you know what? I want to produce strawberries. And the next morning he wakes up and there's a whole field full of strawberries. I don't know anything about farming, but I'm pretty sure that's never happened ever. It takes time. It takes energy. You have to find the nutrients in your life. And once you get the power of God in your life, and once you find out what he wants for your life and tap into that and be connected and attached to God, then you can work on these things from the inside out. They are spiritual practices. They can be exercised or neglected, but they're brought into focus in your spiritual life because you are working on your spiritual life not because you're just directly trying to be better at these things. Now, in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, I just want to make this distinction also. The Bible talks about two different types of things that are of the Spirit, two different types of practices. There's the fruit of the Spirit, which we're going to talk about all summer, and then there are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which Paul and some of the other New Testament authors talk about throughout the New Testament. The gifts of the Spirit are different things that we can practice in our lives in how we deal with each other in our Christian community and how we can serve the outside world. And the Bible says that not one person can have all of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, if you're in here today and you're like, Todd, you're wrong, I have all of them, I'd like to see you afterwards, okay? So we'll talk and I'll find out a little bit more about you because you are like Jesus, okay? So that's what, that's what the Bible says is Jesus was the only one to have all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Contrast that with the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible makes no distinction. There's no disclaimer. There's no clause that says that you can only have a few of these. In fact, the implication is, is that if you're a Christ follower that's attached to Jesus, you will demonstrate all of these in your life. And so these fruit of the Spirit are essentially a litmus test to find out how you're doing in your walk with God. And we are supposed to be doing well on all of these. We're going to consider each of these nine, and we're going to be describing what they are and the key ingredients in producing fruit. Now, there's probably three different types of people in here today. There may be those of you who are like, Todd, I'm not a Christ follower, and I have no earthly idea what you're talking about. Your challenge today 
is really to make that decision to follow Christ because you absolutely cannot exemplify these fruit of the Spirit without Him. In fact, as a immature Christian or as a baby Christian, you can't exemplify any of these if you don't have God's power working in your life. They come directly from God working in your life. And so my challenge to you today is if you're that type of person, consider making the decision to follow Jesus Christ who died for your sins and follow him. And then you can begin uh, uh, working on these things and seeing them grow in your life. Now, some of you are in the second category. You're a growing Christian, and you look at this list and you go, you know what, I'm pretty good at one or two of these, but man, I can work on some of them. I had someone in between services come up to me today, and she said, I don't recognize any of these in my life. I've got some serious work to do because I'm a Christ follower, and you may be in that boat too. And so you may be in the boat of you need to work on one of these or another. But the point of the sweet life, the point of the, of the uh, fruit of the Spirit, is, is that we work on our spiritual lives. We work on remaining close to Christ. And as a result, we exemplify and live these fruit of the Spirit. Now, you may be in a third category, and you may be that person that exemplifies these things perfectly. And if you are, I want to see you afterwards, too, because I'm going to get you to preach for me during this series. Let's dive right in and take a look at your notes this morning. First of all, a key ingredient of the sweet life, a key ingredient of the sweet life is our ability to give and receive love. A key ingredient of the sweet life is our ability to give and receive love. Now, there are several different definitions and several different words in the New Testament in the original language, the Greek, that define love. Most of you may know this, or some of you may know this, that there are three different Greek words for the word love used in the New Testament. There are actually many more than that, but there are three main ones. The first one is eros, and that's the romantic love between uh, you know, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, and that's eros. That's not the type of love that Paul is talking about here. There's a second one that's a, a common one in uh, New, the New Testament, and it's phileo love. And that's a brotherly love, or for you ladies, a sisterly love. And that's where we get the city of what? Philadelphia from. Okay, you guys are awake now. Okay, Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love, phileo, that's where that comes from. That's essentially where we get that from. The kind of love that Paul is talking about is not eros, it's not phileo, it's agape. It's agape love. The word that he used in the original language was agape. The fruit of the Spirit are agape, and it's the God kind of love. It's the kind of love that inspired God to reach down into humanity and to send his son to die on the cross for our sins. It's that God kind of love that Paul is encouraging us to be like and to act like. And before you think there's no way for me to do it, if Paul mentioned it, that it's a fruit of the Spirit, there is a way for you to do it, and that is to remain close to Jesus and allow him to work in your life to produce that kind of love. There are three ingredients, as I see it, that Jesus defined for us that I think makes up this agape type of love. Take a look at these. They're in your notes here this morning. Key ingredients for the fruit of love in your life. The first one is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And you're all like, oh, man, I wish he hadn't said that. Forgiveness is tough, isn't it? It's extremely difficult. 
The Bible has stories of forgiveness all throughout. Stories where one person has been wronged and another one asks for forgiveness and that person comes to forgive. Take a look at one of my favorite ones in Genesis. Now, in Genesis, uh, right around chapters 30 and 32, 31, 32 right there, is the story about Isaac and his two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Esau was the firstborn, that's why I mentioned his name first. And Esau was a man's man. I mean, he went out and he was uh, taken with hunting and fishing, and he was taken with farming. And, and Isaac, who was very old, Isaac, Esau's father, knew Esau because of his hairy arms. <laughs> I won't go any further into that. And the way that he smelled. And I won't go any further into that, okay? Esau was a man's man. I mean, this is the guy that in today's day and age, he would be the owner of Bass Pro Shop, okay? So Esau was just a man's man, and he had a younger uh, brother named Jacob. And Jacob was just the opposite of Esau. He was a little more of a simple guy, didn't have any hair on his arms. He didn't farm. He didn't go out, and he didn't uh, uh, hunt. And uh, he thought, and his mother thought, that it was regrettable that Isaac was one day going to pass the birthright to the older son, Esau. They thought it was regrettable, but that's how it was in the Jewish culture of that day. The birthright and the blessing was passed down from the father to the firstborn son. And so there we find old, blind Isaac, ready to pass down that birthright to Esau. Bring him to me, Isaac said. Bring him to me. And so uh, his, uh, his wife and Jacob's mother plotted, because Esau was out hunting, they plotted and they uh, tricked Isaac into believing that it was Esau that was there when he passed down the blessing. And unwittingly, Isaac passes the blessing down to Jacob. And that's why today we say that God uh, uh, did his work in the life of the Jewish people and in the life of things today and through Jesus, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and not Esau. And so as Scripture often goes, when someone does something wrong, they usually flee. And that's what Jacob did. He fled once he got that blessing. Like, I got the blessing, I am out of here. And he fled, and essentially he was estranged from his family for years and years and years. And I wonder if Jacob worried about that day when he would finally meet up with Esau. Well, that day came. In fact, uh, Jacob and his entourage were traveling on a road, and they had heard that Esau was coming their way. It was a meeting that was inevitable, and who knew what was going to happen? This was the first time since Esau was robbed of that blessing and that birthright that was supposed to be his. And so Jacob, the Bible tells us, stacked up his entourage where he was in the back, and all of a sudden something happened because maybe the Spirit of God began to work on Jacob because he moved himself forward. Take a look at what happens here in Genesis 33, verses 3 through 4. He, Jacob, went on ahead, and when he saw Esau, he bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. That was a signal of humility. That was a signal of peace. It was a signal of please forgive me. Take a look at what happens. But Esau ran to meet Jacob, and he embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. Isn't that a beautiful picture of forgiveness? But I want you to take a look at how this happened. It happened instantaneously. 
And we don't know, the Bible doesn't describe Esau's heart. Maybe it happened years before this. Maybe he forgave Jacob the day after his birthright was stolen. Maybe the moment it happened, he forgave him. And Jacob spent all these years scared of Esau. But maybe it happened at the sight of Jacob bowing down before Esau. We don't know how it happened, but in an instant, that forgiveness came. And you know what? In an instant, forgiveness came for you and for me when God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Forgiveness is a very, very difficult thing to offer someone who has wronged us, isn't it? It's an extraordinarily difficult thing to offer someone who's wronged us. When we've been the victim of something, it is very difficult for us to forgive. But I want you to capture this. God forgave you of every wrong thing that you've done if you've accepted him as your savior. He's forgiven you of everything from the time that you could sin to now. He's forgiven you of everything that you've done That's the kind of forgiveness. That's the agape type of love that we are supposed to extend to each other if we want to live that sweet life. And so our question in regard to the ingredient of forgiveness is, do I struggle with forgiving others? Do I struggle with forgiving others? We we can feign love. You know, we can kind of fake it. But man, when it comes to someone who's wronged us, we cannot fake forgiveness, can we? We can't fake that. It either is or it isn't. We either forgive or we don't. God forgave us, and so we ought to exercise the fruit of love by forgiving those who have hurt us. It was British poet Alexander Pope who once said, to err is human, to forgive divine. But Paul says we can, doesn't he? He says we can. If we remain close to Christ, if we have the power of the Spirit of God living in us, because we can't do it on our own, but we can do it through Him. And that's the first ingredient to have the sweet life of love. The second ingredient is self-sacrifice. The second ingredient is self-sacrifice. Look at Jesus' words from John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. I think a lot of people take that verse and they think, well, that means you have to die for someone else. I don't believe that's true. Maybe it is. And there have been many who have died to express how much they love someone else. But I think that we can show this kind of agape love, that kind of love that Jesus was talking about here when we take our agenda or when we take our focus or when we take our plans and we put them aside to see someone else flourish that's our question this morning for point number two is am i willing to put aside my agenda lay down my life to see someone else flourish Um, cynthia and i are uh, celebrating 17 years of being married today 7 p.m 1995 in lynchburg virginia thank you yes Thanks, honey, for staying with me all these years. (laughs) 17 long years for her. Um, (laughs) She's raising her hand back there, and amen. Uh, We have been married for 17 years today, and there have been many times in our marriage that I have watched my wife selflessly put aside her agenda for me. 
And so it doesn't have to be literally dying, but it can be putting aside your agenda to see someone else flourish. And that's not just true with husband or wife. It can be true with a friend. It can be true with someone that you know. It can be true to see someone else succeed, to see someone else go further. It can be true when you want to see someone else thrive in their spiritual lives. So are you willing to put aside your agenda to see someone else flourish? It's not easy, is it? It's not at all easy, and that's why we have to remain close to Christ. That's why we have to have the power of God working in us to be a person who demonstrates the sweet life of love. And then finally, the third ingredient is service. The third ingredient is service. Now, when I say that word service, I think that probably the first thing that comes to our mind is doing something for someone who's in need. And that's great. That's a good thing. But service doesn't always mean building a you know, Habitat for Humanity house or going down to a school and doing a barbecue. Yes, sometimes it does. But sometimes... It's that simple thing that you do to express how grateful you are for that other person. That's the agape kind of service. And Jesus demonstrated it in a very familiar passage in John 13, 1 through 5. Take a look at this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now, I want to stop there for a moment. This is Jesus, who is a rabbi in his own right. He's, he is a rabbi who really uh, knows the word. He, he, he knows the law, and, and he's teaching his people. And it says here that at this point in time, hey, he's the one that's done all these miracles, turned water into wine, healed different people. And at this point, Scripture says that now... He shows them the full extent of his love. What is he about to do? Well, the disciples didn't know it in that upper room, but Jesus was about to die for their sins and for the sins of humanity. So it was the full extent of his love. But watch what act is the precursor to Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins. Verse 2. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to what? Wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus is about ready to die for the sins of humanity. At this point in time, if I'm him, I'm like, guys, you need to take care of me. I'm about ready to go to the cross. I'm in anguish here. You know, this is going to be extraordinarily uh, physical pain, extraordinary physical pain. I need to be served. What does Jesus do? He gets on his knees, and he bends down, and he takes the sandals off that first disciple. And his dirty, very stinky, (laughs) dust, desert-covered feet. And the dust and the grime and all the filth that was on that first disciple's feet is now on Jesus' hands. And he served them in a way that demonstrated that he loved them. 
You see, sometimes living the sweet life and having that agape kind of love that Paul is talking about there in Galatians 5 means doing the simple thing that will express to that other person that you mean it. That's not Eros kind of love right there. That is not romantic kind of love. It's not phileo kind of love. That is agape God kind of love. That is the kind of love that we can show to each other, that we can show to our spouses or our brothers and sisters or our friends by serving and being selfless in our service. I, I told you, Cynthia and I have been married 17 years today, and um, we had a, a gentleman by the name of Jerry Falwell who passed away in 2007, married us. He did our wedding. He officiated our wedding. He was the pastor of Thomas Road Baptist Church, which is associated with Liberty University, which is where we went to college. And when you got married, when Jerry Falwell did your wedding, you had to go to premarital counseling. And so we got hooked up with one of the campus pastors there at Liberty University, a guy named Lou Wider, and Lou was a neat guy. But here is how our premarital counseling started. Lou looked at both of us, and we sat down in front of him, and we were nervous. You know, he's this pastor, and we're 20-something years old. We didn't know what all this was about. And here was his initial opening statement. If you guys can survive... My premarital counseling, you'll be able to survive years and years and a lifetime of marriage. And that was followed up by this statement. My job is to break you up. That's how it got started. And there were tears and there was whining and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But we continued with the premarital counseling. And if you're coming to me for premarital counseling, I've not taken that into mine as a pastor. I just want you to know that a little disclaimer there. But we learned a lot from his counseling. And one of the greatest lessons that, we've learned, that we learned from that counseling that we went through over the period of, I don't know, six weeks or eight weeks or something like that is this. Lou told us. He said a marriage is a commitment between a, woman, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, and there are tons of little things to be done. The trash has to be taken out. The bills have to be paid. When you have a baby, the diapers, believe it or not, guys, have to be changed at some point in time, and there are thousands of little things. And he said, my encouragement to you is that all of those little things are never the other person's job. All of them are always each of your jobs. And he said, put on the glasses of a servant when it comes to those little things in life. And that's been one of the best things that we've taken in our marriage. Boy, we've messed some things up. We've had our tough times. We've had our disagreements. But you know what? One thing that we've done is take that piece of advice and had the spirit of servanthood in our marriage. Now, there are things that Cynthia does better than I do, like paying the bills, that's definitely for sure. I'm probably better at taking out the trash, although she might disagree with you on that uh, today. But anyway, um, I, but there are times when we do those things for each other and we serve each other. That is agape type of love. I bet there's someone in your life, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, brother or sister, or maybe it's a close friend that you can serve, someone that you can serve. And so my question for you this morning is, do I spend more time focused on my needs or the needs of others? Do I spend more time focused on my needs or the needs of others? Jesus took that moment and that opportunity to put his needs aside, and he served his disciples. Who are you serving? Here's the bottom line this morning. 
We have the responsibility. We have the responsibility. I want you to catch that. We have the responsibility to add all of these ingredients in our lives so that we can truly live the sweet life. In this case, the sweet life of love and agape love. This is a heart thing, church. This is a heart thing. And I know sometimes it's difficult. I know sometimes it's difficult to change that heart attitude. I heard a story long ago about a little girl, and this little girl was at a restaurant with her mom. And parents, you know the scenario of little people at restaurants. They're fidgety, right? And if you're my son, he likes to stand on the chair. And this little girl decided about halfway through the meal with her mom and a friend that she would stand up. And the mom whispered to her, honey, sit down. You need to sit down. And she didn't. And the mom whispered again, honey, sit down. And then finally, after the third time, her mom looked at her and said, honey, sit down. And the little girl sat down. You know when parents have that long pause in between two words, it means trouble's coming. So she sat down and she was quiet for the rest of that meal. Well, they finished the meal and they got in the car and the mom looked at the little girl and said, you know, I, I know you were having trouble there sitting down, but, but I really appreciate the fact that you listened to me that last time and you sat through the whole meal. And the little girl looked at the mom and said, mom, I may have been sitting on the outside, but I was standing on the inside. It's a hard attitude, isn't it? The sweet life, all of these things we're going to be talking about over these next few weeks are all attitudes of the heart. How are you doing with that sweet life ingredient of love? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And as we close this morning, I just want to read from Paul's famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. And as I read this, I want you to be filtering this through what Christ has done for you on the cross and how you can express and demonstrate this type of love to those people around you. Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And Father, today in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would help us to remain attached to you so that we can have your power to not only receive the type of love that you showed us, but that we can give that type of agape love to those around us.